Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of coming into your presence that is our life and is everything because you are your presence, Lord. And so I pray for this morning that those who are listening to your holy word would come alive on the inside, that the fire of the Holy Spirit would be ignited within them, and that your word would go forth in clarity and power, and may the love of God be poured out once again in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise? And can can the media team make sure I can hear it? It just helps me out. Okay. Love you guys. So good to see you. Uh, I am here at Bethel, and thank you for understanding. They did ask me to stay and teach uh, tonight, but don't worry. Uh, on your end, I do want to say this. Tonight at home will be a night of healing and miracles and an incredible presence of the Lord. I would not miss these next two weeks for anything. I'm just going to tell you that uh, we need to position ourselves over these next two Sundays to really receive from the Lord and from his servants. Uh, someone very special to us will be ministering to you tonight. And next week as well, we're going to uh, encounter the presence of God, both morning and evening, in a very, very special way. So come hungry, come ready. If you know people tonight who need to hear the gospel preached with beauty and clarity and be in the Lord's presence and and who are sick in body or struggling uh, emotionally even or who need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit, be sure uh, to come tonight and bring your friends. It will be very, very sacred and special. I want to thank the entire team back home. Uh, for just being so amazing. The feedback here in Reading has been beautiful. Uh, they have so thoroughly enjoyed uh, having us, and they're blown away by what the Lord has done. And um, and I'm so proud of all of you. So local church, I just want you to thank the team. Could we do that? They, they, they flew back late yesterday. They're in church this morning. They are the best of the best. I'm so thankful for all of you. I'm happy that uh, Amy mentioned uh, build his house. Uh, had a few people out here actually mention it, bring it up, which is a great sign. And uh, the Lord will provide every dollar, every cent needed for that house. And I'm believing it will be debt-free. And I need to hear that agreement too <laughs> from all of you. So team, let me hear. Make sure I can hear them agreeing with me. Amen. All right. All right. Well, let's get into the word. I'm going to continue teaching on uh, the generosity of Jesus, what that looks like, um, how beautiful and how valuable it is to the Lord himself. And um, let's begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, teach us your word and reveal the heart and character of Jesus to us, who perfectly reveals the Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You remember last week, 
uh, it, it would be really healthy for us. We're going to take our time on this. Uh, last week, you remember that I began with Mark 12, verses 41 uh, through 44. So uh, for the sake of just my voice, if I could get two people to grab a mic, Amy Pazinski and someone else, and um, we'll start with Amy. Uh, I'm going to have Amy read. Uh, verses 41 through 40 through 44 in the gospel of Mark. And then team, could you just make sure I can hear her? Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she put, she out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, incredible to put that in perspective. I would be blown away if Nathan and Kathleen are in church today. I know Kathleen flew home late last night, but are, are they are they in church? Are they sitting right there? If this isn't a church check, by the way, it's just a just a question. But but if if they are, uh, it would be like the Lord sitting where they are, or wherever that first row is that I usually sit on, and then you know we put our offering buckets there up on the platform uh, on the stairs. And it would be like the Lord sitting there watching the way and how much his people give. This is incredible. For those of you who are new to the church, for those of you who have maybe this type of teaching makes you uncomfortable, I want to be the first to say, as I said last week, that there has been so much excess regarding this subject that's been grieving. It's grieved the Lord. Uh, much of it came from a pit of hell, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think the inception of it all began beautifully. It was people who needed a breakthrough in God, who God had instructed to do mighty things for his name. Maybe they didn't have enough uh, to sustain their family. Maybe they didn't have enough to, in the natural, to accomplish what they felt the Lord had called them to. And they began to discover in the scriptures that giving released God's uh, blessing. And that is true. It's biblical. It's there. We cannot remove it. It's there. And our job as believers is to adhere to and hold to the scripture. And we've got to be willing as believers in Jesus to die on that mountain, not on the mountain per se of giving, but on the mountain of the word of God, the authority of the word of God as being the ultimate authority in our lives. So we can't negate it. And I think everybody here, everyone watching on YouTube, uh, is happy when the Lord does bless them or when he does provide that college tuition, uh, when he does provide money for a mortgage payment on a house. or uh, we, We're grateful to the Lord when we're able to go to the grocery store and, and buy what we need for our family. We're grateful we, when we can leave an inheritance for our children. These are all scriptural, by the way. Uh, the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children. So uh, we have to get over the elephant in the room that excesses has created. But as I said last week, 
I think the pendulum has swung way too far the other in, in the other direction. And now we're dealing with uh, selfishness. We're dealing with uh, the love of money. We're dealing with the spirit of mammon. We're dealing with not honoring our parents in that way. We're dealing with not funding the gospel. We're making the church a uh, and God's work a piece of the puzzle of our life where really the Lord's work should be centerpiece. You know, there was a day where the church was the central hub, the central building, the central people of a community. And the entire community literally was built around the church. And the church was the place where people encountered the Lord and where they fellowshiped with each other. And they saw the need for the church, even in their community. So great champions, our, 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 our predecessors, our ancestors, gave all they had in many cases or worked. And think of this. Some of the cathedrals in Europe took four to 500 years to build. Four to 500 years. We're talking about five generations of building. What kind of vision is that? Imagine putting your hand to something that you know you're not going to see, that your children aren't going to see, that your grandchildren aren't going to see, that your great-grandchildren will not see. But you have this, this mentality that, that, the, that the faith, that the kingdom of Jesus is bigger than our, our lifespan, is bigger than my comfort. This is the way that uh, that these wonderful places were built that actually shook the world in many cases. So that being said, of course, there's been horrific excess, and it's hurt the gospel and hurt the beauty of the Lord and the holiness of the church. And 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 so many times the, the enemy takes scripture, as I said last week, and twists it. And he takes that scripture and uses it and twists it. So a scripture can have a can contain a truth, which sowing and reaping is in the Bible. Paul the apostle mentioned it. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And if we're going to be faithful Bible students, and Paul is clearly talking about finance there. Paul mentions finance many times. He tells the saints to prepare an offering. So the point is this: if we're going to be faithful, we've got to see it there. But the devil has taken many of these passages. And anytime, uh, and I, I want you to, to to write this down. We will forever fall into deception when we separate a truth from the truth. A truth, lowercase t, from the truth, capital T. Anytime we trim that branch, cut it off the vine, the life flow of that truth can become an idol. And so that has happened. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, remember this. When we hold on to what we have and refuse to release it, the money has become an idol. So money is an idol in both ditches. Money is an idol to the person who's twisting the scripture because of excess and, and not seeing the beauty of Jesus, whose motives are improper when they talk about giving but money is also an idol for the person who refuses to give it. Let's be real. And when we use the excuse of somebody else's sin in our reasoning to excuse ourselves from following the Bible, we're basically saying, I will use somebody else's sin to justify my own. So it's sin causing more sin. And it's, it is the devil's work to the finest.
He is the master at this. So what we did last week is we made a commitment as a church body to allow the scriptures to guide us, even if they challenge us, if we don't understand them, we're going to be faithful students who give our hearts to understanding them, but to never remove them and forsake them. Amen? Amen. I need to hear an amen on that team. So, okay. Okay. I'm a happy pastor. All right. So Amy read this passage. Here's Jesus sitting right there, let's just say, as an example, right there on the steps. And he's watching people come and give. This is a way by which Jesus expresses that giving is holy. Anytime he embodies or engages something, it is his way of saying it's important to him. For example, life is important to Jesus. Human life. Well, how do we know that? Yes, of course, I could find passages about human life and not murdering, but Ultimately, the way by which he has blessed life is by coming a man, is by becoming a man. He has expressed how much he values human life by becoming fully human. How does Jesus feel about babies? He became one. How does he feel about the unborn? He was, he was a seed in the womb of a woman. How does he feel about the healing ministry? Well, he expressed that through his incarnation and his healing ministry. How does Jesus feel about the poor? He blessed the giving to the poor by embodying it and accomplishing it through his own ministry. Jesus, listen, has forever blessed humanity with his divine presence. He has crowned humanity with his divine presence by becoming a man. So that being said, one of the ways that we know the Lord has blessed marriage, yes, Ephesians 5 tells us that marriage is a beautiful picture of Christ and his church, of course. But we also need to remember that the Lord is called the bridegroom. But how else does he endorse marriage? By attending the wedding at Cana and by blessing it and by turning water into wine. This is the Lord's way of saying marriage is beautiful. The same principle applies to giving. Here the Lord, remember last week we discussed that he is the generous one. He gave his life. If you give your life, there's nothing you won't give. And Paul writes that to the church. He who did not spare his own son, what good thing was he withhold from us? So here the Lord, not only has he expressed generosity through his own giving of himself, not only has the father expressed it through the giving of his son, not only has the Holy Spirit expressed it by filling us, by being released upon us and turning us to Jesus and to the Father, they're constantly giving. But the Lord has endorsed the offering by requesting it, of course, but by sitting here and examining it. This is his way of saying, I'm into this. I'm in to generosity because this is who I am. Remember, the Lord doesn't, <laughs> this, this one is, uh, it can be a challenge, but remember, we made a promise as a people to follow the scriptures. The Lord isn't just looking at how she gave or how they gave. He was clearly aware of what they gave and how much they gave. Now, the, the Lord's way of judging that isn't like the human way. She gave from her need. 
he gave from lack. So in a sense, the Lord was looking at how much was left over, not just how much went into the offering tray. And he says, she has given more than anyone. Aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus sees value differently than most of the world? Uh, I am. And I, and I, I think uh, this is something that I want to reawaken us to as a local church body and as a generation and as for those watching. I would be uh, an unfaithful pastor if I told you that Jessica and I have not seen mighty breakthrough in our lives when we give to the Lord, when we help people who are in need, when we honor people financially. Something Bill said Sunday night here, or Friday night on our, on our Jesus tour night, he was gracious enough to receive the offering for us. And he said, he said, uh, people give for three reasons scripturally. One, because of vision. And it's, this is all wonderful, by the way. You may want to write this down. One, because of vision. Two, because of compassion. And three, because of honor. All three are wonderful. All three are biblically based. We give out of compassion to those in need. The Lord moves our heart. We see a situation. Something I like to do, just to be honest, is I like to put money in my pocket. Maybe it's birthday money. Maybe it's a gift card. I'll put it in my pocket on a Sunday or uh, if it's a Jesus school day. And I'll take it into God's presence. And I'm looking for someone uh, whom the Lord directs to my attention and then I wait on compassion and when I feel that compassion I've learned that compassion is a gateway to not only pray for the sick because remember Jesus had compassion upon the sick and prayed for them and healed them I should say I've also learned to allow compassion to guide me uh, regarding who to pray for who's sick I've learned that it's actually an open door for the healing uh, to take place uh, but the same applies to, to generosity. So what I'll do is I'll come into church and I will ask the Lord to speak to me. And then I will give it the money to a staff member and ask them to anonymously bless somebody. I'll do that on the road. I'll, uh, if I have a drive, if I know I'm going to be out and about that day, I'll put money in my pocket and ask the Lord to give or ask the Lord to speak to me about who, who he'd like me to give to. Oftentimes, it's been people uh, who are on a street corner who there's probably a good chance that they're not going to do great things with that money, but I leave that to them. I want to be a blessing. If the Lord speaks, I'm going to do it, and I always preach the gospel. I always tell them Jesus loves them. That would be compassionate giving. Um, for instance, Jesus' image stands with Iris, and we help orphans almost on a monthly basis. I, th I think actually on a monthly basis. We give to Iris. Heidi's ministry to help orphans. There's vision attached to that, of course. It's a mighty vision. But I want to make sure that, that we are moved with compassion. Compassion moves us. Okay, so that's one area. The second is vision. Um, vision is important. 
Um, we see this with Moses when he uh, called the children of Israel. We're actually going to get into this actual passage during this series um, where Moses tells the people that the Lord wants to build a, a sanctuary by which he can abide in. And the people give because of the voice of the Lord and the vision of the tabernacle. And they gave so much that Moses had to tell him to stop. Lord, may that happen for build his house. Yes, yes, that would be wonderful. And the people said, please, yeah, the media team's getting good. They knew I needed him on that one. All right. They know when I need agreement. <laughs> the best media team in the world. Um, so Moses does that. There's vision there. They're giving behind the vision. Same happens with Solomon's temple. There's giving behind the vision, behind the instruction of the Lord. And remember, vision needs to be clear. It needs to be written down. And then people can run with it. So, for instance, build this house has been more than written down. Very clear. It's been expressed. There's a clear vision. We give to vision. And we want to make sure it's the Lord's vision. Lastly, honor. We give because of honor. Honor uh, transcends uh, that person being in need. And something Pastor Bill mentioned uh, Friday night was that the Queen of Sheba brought an offering to Solomon out of honor. And how many of you know Solomon did not need her money? The richest man in history, the wisest man in history outside of Jesus. So she still brought an offering. And I've experienced that. I don't bring, uh, I don't give to ministries and people uh, only because they're in need or because they have great vision, but I give to ministries that have impacted my life because of honor. And honor is connected to giving. I want you to hear that. Now, honor does mean to think highly of. Honor does mean to treat well. Honor does mean to, to let's just say in a church context, if a father comes into Jesus' image or a mother in the faith or, or parents, or we're going to honor them by, by the way we seek them, by the way we, we treat them, by, by, uh, by the way they are dealt with by our team. But honor, biblically, does mean generosity. Because Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, listen, for not honoring their parents because they chose to not give to their parents because they said they were giving to the Lord's work. And Jesus confronted them and said, look, you've made the traditions of men so strong in your own heart that it's nullified the power of the word of God in your heart. And, and oftentimes we do that. Parents are worthy of honor. Parents should be taken care of as they age. And it's something that's really lost in the West. I, I have Raul actually in this office right now. We're actually filming, we're coming to you from Bethel and uh, in their offices. Raul's here. And I know he'd agree with me. Honor has been lost in a great way in the West, I think, regarding our parents and grandparents and family. This needs to be expressed towards them. And the scriptures teach us to honor them even financially. So honor isn't merely limited to, I should say, honorable giving is not merely limited to need. It's a matter of respect. So people who've impacted our lives, ministries that impacted our lives, we honor them with giving. Please hear me. If we are going to be biblical regarding our honor. Honor must transcend a mental feeling or emotion towards someone. It has to. And so 
For instance, the people that lead us to Jesus are worthy of honor. Ministries that God, uh, God used uh, to, to see a breakthrough in our lives are worthy of honor. Uh, our local church is worthy of honor. People that pour our lives out for us and our families, worthy of honor. And so that's why it's really easy, to be honest with you, three years ago, I would have been petrified to sit on that platform um, last Sunday and share the vision of the building because I had just seen in my travels and, and, and things like that so much excess and twistedness regarding it. But when I began to discover this biblically and realize that it is an honor for us to give uh, to the Lord's work, I felt a boldness come over me. And that's been a journey over the last two years. But last Sunday, I felt wonderful. Uh, it was wonderful to sit up there with our team and such uh, a treasure to do that and, and cast vision and show our honor by the way we give to this ministry. That is the Lord's, not mine. It is the Lord's ministry. So those are the three reasons that we give. We give because of compassion. We give because of vision. And we give because of honor. But I do want you to see in Mark 12 that the Lord is really into it. This is super important. He is very involved and very invested. If Jesus has a seat opposite the offering box, he cares about it. So what we don't want to do, please hear me, is limit our worship as a people to the song we sing. This is vital, guys. I, I cannot express this enough. Remember what, well, I'll just show it to you. I read it to you, but, but let's go back again. I want you to go to, um, I want you to go to Genesis. Chapter 22. And I want you to look at, at um, verse 3. And could whoever's reading alongside Amy, could, could that person read verses 3 through 5? So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. That's Dion. <laughs> What a word of knowledge. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Keep going. And took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Okay, and I'll keep, the, keep their mic on, guys. What did he say they were going to do? Worship. Worship. Say it out loud, church. Worship. Say it again. Worship. One more time. Worship. All right, now, here we see, you can kill it, yeah. Here we see that the giving of his son, Abraham's giving of Isaac, was considered worship. Worship. He did not say, I am going up there to sing. That's not what's going on here. He said, I am going up there to worship. 
and a song isn't even mentioned. Now, do not, please, what I, let me just say what I'm not saying. I am not saying the Lord does not deeply value uh, our ministry of song to him. He's the one who created it. There are instruments in heaven. There, uh, the Lord has promised to show up during praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. Uh, worship draws us to the Lord. The Lord loves it when people sing in one accord. We see this with Solomon's temple. Uh, we see uh, the beautiful, majestic excellence of 4,000 voices that would fill that temple as one choir. We see the Lord being very meticulous with how he responds, let's just say, with the walls of Jericho. And when they worshiped and shouted at the end, I'm not saying that God doesn't receive your song when you walk into the doors of Jesus' image. I'm not saying that to our worship team and our musicians. Hopefully you believe and have witnessed the value we place on the music ministry under the Lord. It will forever be part of my DNA, my heart, and our worship experience. However, however, we cannot limit worship to singing and playing. Because here the scripture says that Abraham went yonder to worship. And, and for those of you who don't know what's happening here, Abraham is offering his son that God gave him to die. And Abraham considers that worship. And so does the Lord. So this is important. This is, this is really, really important. And here's why. I want you, as you walk into the house of God, to realize that God wants more than your song. We do say that God doesn't need our, our money. That's true. But make no bones about it. He wants to be worshipped properly. Properly. Notice that in both the tabernacle, the desert tabernacle, and Solomon's temple, that an altar of sacrifice is present at both so that, hear, hear me very carefully, the people could bring something of value to the Lord that cost them something. That cost them something. This is so important. David understood this when a plague was striking Israel. David understood this. The angel of the Lord was striking down Israel, and David knew there was but one way to stop it, through repentance and worship, through sacrificial worship. So he, he, he says that the most beautiful thing regarding worship, that it should resonate in our hearts, as somebody offered to give him his own sacrifice and place to worship. He says, I refuse to offer the Lord something that has cost me nothing. One of my pet peeves as a pastor or as a leader, just to be honest, is if I look at our team, our leaders, our interns, uh, people that we trust, if we are in a moment where we should be worshiping and adoring the Lord, and uh, I see that they're disengaged, and they're not offering the Lord anything that's costly, 
uh, I, I don't enjoy that. I, I think that's an issue. It's, it's, and, and of course, uh, it's a simple conversation. And oftentimes they catch it themselves, but worship is about offering the Lord that which is costly, whether it's hands lifted, whether it's our hands lifted and we don't feel like it, whether it's standing when we want to sit, whether it's kneeling when we want to stand, whether it's the Lord saying, get on your face in a meeting and you don't feel like it, it might look weird, it's costly. Whether it's um, offering the Lord praise as a sacrifice, which by the way, that's what it is, the sacrifice of praise, so it must be costly. Whether it's everything I just mentioned, or, or I should say, us coming in with a financial offering to the Lord. It is the Lord who has authored this principle, not the church. The Lord is the author of giving the tithe and the offering. So you say, Pastor Michael, does the Lord care about my money? Yes. Yes, he absolutely does. So regarding our worship experience in the presence of God, remember, everything we do here must be about the presence of God. Everything. Everything is about his manifest presence. So it's not really the question uh, foundationally. The question I not, is not, I should say, how much should I give and why do I have to give? Here's the question. What causes the Lord to manifest himself consistently among a people? And biblically, friends, listen, biblically, that transcends singing. Biblically, that transcends outreach. Biblically, that transcends good preaching. It must include coming to the Lord with an offering. It must, if you're going to look at it scripturally. And that's what I want to do throughout these next few weeks, is give you scripture after scripture after scripture so that you'll trust not only me, but the Lord himself, that this is his idea. All right, would you say amen? Okay. Um, are you still happy? Okay. Okay. Just making sure. Now, go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And Amy will read that, but before she does, this is one, let me tell you one of the reasons I love to get an offering in my hand and give it to the Lord. And I literally mean in my hand, from my hand to his by faith. This is why I like to do that. When Adam sinned, the curse hit the ground and there was like this mass curse that was released. Now man had to supply for himself through the sweat of his brow. And man would discover the bondage of working and receiving and then holding tightly to, which is a bondage. That is part of the curse, where man is now cursed to work uh, the ground. Remember, he was initially called, Adam was, to tend to the garden. After the curse, it was from the sweat of his brow. He went from tending to working. Some of you are like, well, thank God we're in the new covenant. I don't have to work. 
Not what that means. Paul says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. So, not what that means at all. However, man now moves from tending to the garden and receiving of the Lord to now working and tilling the ground. And this curse is released. And part of that curse is like this fear of the future and God's ability to provide. So we see the Lord Jesus come in and say, hold on a second, hold on a second. Sparrows don't worry about it. The lilies are clothed more beautifully than Solomon. Don't worry about it. That's the Lord's perspective. But man is cursed to this, this work and then, and then clinging to. When we give an offering to the Lord, it is an expression that that curse has been reversed in our lives. There is a redemption. Listen, it's proof of the redeeming work of the Lord that, Lord, while the world is under this curse and man is all about himself, I'm going to bring you the work of my hands that you've redeemed. The Lord has redeemed the work of our hands. And in Hebrew culture, the work of, of hands is always worship. I'm going to bring you the fruit of the work of my hands, and I'm going to give it to you. This is a powerful thing that happens. It's proof of that redemption. Okay, go ahead and read that, Amy. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure mm-hmm. is, there your heart will be also. The read that again, Amy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One more time. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, could you keep going, please? The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Whoa. Read that again. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, keep going. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you put in, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds Mm. them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things Mm. shall be added to you. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <laughs> That's so powerful. That's such a blessing to even hear that. All right, number one, the Lord here instructs us in verse 19. You have the ability to store up a treasure. You get to choose where you're going to store it. All right, now in one location, treasures on earth, there's an issue. Rust destroys it and thieves break in and steal it. That's a problem. In other words, the treasures we lay up on earth, remember, if we store treasure on earth, it is susceptible. It's susceptible. And what he's talking about here is taking earthly finance and directing it in a certain direction. If I direct it toward me, if I direct it to what the world deems as being valuable, if I only direct it there, uh, these finances are susceptible. So you store up a treasure that is vulnerable to rust, destruction, and thievery. How many people have spent their entire life storing up a treasure or a career or a business, holding on so tightly? And you'll notice as we continue to read, through, as Amy continued to read, read, read through verse 34, the core issue here was fear of the future. That's what the Lord's trying to release them from. Don't worry about it. Calm down. Don't let the fear of the future cause you to store up treasure for yourself that ultimately you're going to lose anyways. Okay? So here we're seeing the Lord is teaching us that we can take our treasure here on earth and direct it. All right? He says, don't store it there. Rust will destroy it. Thieves can break in. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen up. This is so powerful here. For where your treasure is, there, there, if you have your Bibles open, which hopefully you do, there your heart will be also. Now, if I, I've, I've often asked people, hey, or even our, well, I won't give names, but <laughs> I've asked people, hey, uh, why'd you say that? And they're like, well, I'm like, aren't you sorry for saying that? No, because I know my heart. Or why'd you do that? Aren't you sorry for doing that? No, I'm not sorry for doing that. I know my heart. Uh, maybe you've said that to your spouse. Maybe you said, hey, I don't appreciate that. Did you? Why'd you say that? Well, I know my heart. You know my heart. Well, look, biblically, like, of course, all of us say things that are stupid and do things that are stupid. But Jesus connects what we say and do to the heart. All right. So I'm going somewhere here. Notice the passage does not say in Matthew 6 that where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. It's not saying... Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. He actually says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Okay, hold on now. Number one, the Lord is connecting our treasure and our heart. All right, our resources and our heart. They are connected. But number two, he's actually telling us that I can move my heart with the movement of my treasure. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if some of you feel like, you know, I just don't have a passion for the, for the gospel, passion for Jesus, a passion for the kingdom. Do you give? Do you give or do you walk in? Are you, a, are you one of those who walk into God's presence with nothing or you offering something that has cost you nothing? It is not worship. It's not biblically full worship. To hold back from the Lord with our resources and just give him a song and say, I'm a great worshiper. No, that's not the case. It's not biblical worship. And again, I'm going to say biblical all day long because I don't want you to ever base your life on what I say. I want you to base your life on what the scripture says. So here Jesus goes, hey, don't, don't just make it all about you. Don't just give for your sake. Don't, don't burn for what the world burns for. Don't burn for materialism and big house and all this. Don't, don't make that your infatuation. Uh, don't, don't think that the more you obtain from a material standpoint, that the happier you'll be. You won't be. You won't be. Don't do that. He's saying all of that's susceptible. Now, can God, let's just say uh, investments, can God bless that? Of course. We should invest. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but the point is all of that's susceptible. All of that's vulnerable. But God actually gives us a way to redeem our finances through generosity so that he'll protect them. He'll protect them. And it's that old saying, when we tithe, which is our first tenth, and I'll get into that as we progress on this journey. But when I tithe, there's that old saying that's released. I'd rather have 90% of my finance with God's blessing than 100 without it. Because there's a principle at stake there that when the first is blessed, the entire lump is blessed. And so when we, when we bring the Lord our firsts, we actually receive the blessing of the Lord for the entire lump. So here Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So here's my question. How invested with your resources are you with the, for the gospel? And if there's a fire issue in the heart, I would lovingly like to invite you into sacrificial giving. Because when, look, when you're invested in something, you care. You care. When you begin to invest in the local church, you care. When you begin to invest in widows and orphans, you care. When you begin to invest in giving to the poor, you, you start to care because your money's going there. And that's the connection between the treasure location and the heart location. Now, further on, the Lord says, you cannot serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You listen to this carefully. You cannot serve God in mammon. This isn't the Lord telling us to hate money. Mammon is a demonic initiative. And, and I'm, I'll get further into this as the weeks go by. But mammon is a demonic initiative that causes people to worship finance and hold on to resources, not realizing it is a remedy for destruction. So what the Lord is saying here is, look, you're either going to love God and hate the demonic initiative that causes us to not be generous, which, by the way, as I've been saying over the last two weeks, 
is the antithesis of Trinitarian culture. Holding back is the antithesis of Trinitarian culture. Holding back when I have access to the person, according to James, the Apostle James, who is in need, when I walk by him and just say, God bless you, I'm in sin. James, James denounces that. He instructs us to be generous. So the reason you can't serve both is because one is demonic and one is the Lord. One is the Lord. Look, look around the world today. Really think about this. How, how does the fallen world use money? Think about it. To dominate, to oppress, to uh, fabricate, to flatter, to manipulate, to gain more for me, 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 for status. Okay, all of these things, that is under, that canopy, that spirit of mammon. How does the Lord want us to use money? By giving selflessly, right? By winning the world to Jesus, by thinking about the age to come, by investing in our heavenly account, which is to give to the Lord today, by helping broken families, by feeding the poor, by taking care of widows and orphans, right? by discipling people, the two camps cannot be further apart. This is one of my concerns, is that through the church's inability to obey the scripture and heart to express worship to the Lord, we are actually embodying what the world burns for while sitting in God's house. So I want us to be a different church, all unto his presence, guys. All of it must be under his presence. But I want you to realize that the Lord connects generosity to giving. Before I close, and I'm going to give you, my gosh, I've got pages and pages and pages and pages of scripture, but I'm still building a foundation here. I wanted to get into it. The first time I went to Paul Teske's church, Oh, I wish, I, I'm telling you, I wish you guys could have gone there back. I started in 07 through like, man, I went for years. Man, in those early days, like 2007 to 2010, it was just lit up. The place, I'm telling you, was lit up. The air was lit up with the glory of God. That's the only way I can explain it. There was so much joy. It, it was like, it's indescribable, really. It, the people were happy. It was old school. It was pretty, it was very, sometimes Rev would wear the vestments. I loved the way they offered communion, served the people. It was holy. The worship was great. Uh, it had all that traditional feel, but power released. Rev had a healing ministry of the likes of that you would, I could count on one hand and still does. I remember he was reading a passage about when devils be cast out among you because the kingdom of God has come. And literally, he was just reading, just reading his Bible, looking down. And a lady manifested on the floor, threw up in the front row. Rev didn't even see it. And he just kept reading the passage. They carried the lady out of there and cleaned up the vomit. And Rev just kept reading. And then after the service, 
he goes, yeah, I heard a lady manifested. I was like, yeah, 10 feet from you. You happened to miss it all. It was just charged with the glory of God. I mean, I, I can't explain it. I'd sit in his office and you just feel the Lord so strongly. But one of the things that gripped me was that all, listen, listen carefully. Don't miss this. All the pieces of so many of the pieces of biblical obedience were in place for the Lord to trust them with his manifest presence. The teaching of the word is, is one of those. The beautiful worship, one of those. Receiving communion properly, one of those. Strong leadership, beautiful servitude leadership, one of those. Rev and Rivers marriage, being together and beautiful, one of those. All these things were in place. It's just wonderful. They're they're giving to the to the Lord and His work in the nations. One of those pieces, okay. But I'll never forget that on their way up to communion, those people would walk. This was a Lutheran church in Westport, Connecticut. Many Fortune 500 execs there. Probably only worship 300 people, okay. And these people, who were educated who had lived in a very expensive zip code, who had ex uh, expenses that we don't even understand from a state tax perspective, all this stuff, they would come up with reverence on their way up to the communion elements. And there would be a little basket right there in the center aisle. And on their way up, they would take their offering, pray, and put it in the basket, and then receive communion. See, it was part of that worship flow. It was part of that. And it was a holy part of that. It was a holy part of that puzzle, a holy aspect that God uh, enjoyed and that he appreciated. And God released his blessing on that house. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for us. I have a hunch that if every person under the sound of my voice, everyone attending our, our, our church, if you were faithful in your tithes and offerings, I have a hunch this building would be paid for like that. I, I, I just... I feel like money would just never even be an issue. And God's been good to us. But more importantly than the building being built, I believe that I have biblical and that we have plenty, scores of biblical foundation to believe God would respond with his presence through a lifestyle of giving. Amen? And that's what I want for us. Do you receive that? You do? Okay, okay. Let's pray, and then I'm going to have uh, our leadership uh, pray over the communion. Remember, be there early tonight. Come hungry. I would prepare my heart. Uh, go home and rest, and then prepare your heart for tonight. Really posture yourself so that the Lord will touch you. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the vision you've given us. And I thank you. We thank you as a church family and those watching around the world that your house will be built debt-free in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, even more so for the people, for your people, that it would be our joy to give back to the one who's given us everything. And would you release miraculous blessing upon them, upon their homes, their children, their businesses, their ministries, missionaries who are believing for funds to take the gospel to the nations, bless them, 
Bless them, I pray. Bless visiting pastors, Lord, who are there in the room. Bless them in in their churches. Bless them, Lord, and catch us up into a lifestyle of radical giving. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.